You are listening to episode 73 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John. I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody. Here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we have a hard time maintaining social distancing with the infected on today's Inflation Deflation Challenge. That's right, folks. So uh, this week we're playing Cold Fear on the PlayStation 2. Um, it's also on the Xbox. Uh, I unfortunately don't have that one, which is a little more well-received. Uh, but regardless. We'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. So, John, what'd you pick up this week? So it was a light week for pickups. I actually had a few close call pickups that I was about to grab, and then it just ended up being nothing so uh i wanted to get a uh, high velocity racing for hot wheels the other day at a goodwill stolen somebody literally took it out of the package left complete in box or everything but literally took the disc and then i saw a uh, gun con on the playstation one and uh, i was like all right cool i'm gonna pick this up it's all good looked perfect and then i noticed a little av cable at the end uh was damaged it was mm. broken off so Almost had us a uh, PlayStation 1 gun con for some of those uh, Time Crisis games. But I did come out with a racing wheel on the PlayStation 3. It is a, uh, I think it's a Logitech racing wheel, if I'm correct. And uh, is it? No, no, it's a Turbo Master, I think is what it's called. Mm, that's or what Turbo, it says on Turbo it, yeah. Thruster, I think. And so uh, I picked that up. It was like 15 bucks for uh, the racing wheel. They normally go for like 60 to $80. And uh, Thrustmaster, that's what it says. Thrustmaster, yeah. So I was wrong on both of those accounts. Uh, regardless, it is a uh, pretty cool little nifty racing wheel. Uh, when I was looking around, I found the racing wheel and said, okay, I know these can go for a bit, but where are the pedals? So I was digging around on a whole bunch of wires and everything else at the shop I was at. Found the pedals. Looked it all up, made sure everything appeared like other pictures on listings online, and it did. So 15 bucks, not a bad pickup. Hopefully it works. Hopefully. Uh, in in terms of hopefully something working, uh, you know, we were talking about my 360 last week that I picked up and determining if that was obviously going to be working or not. At first, I was scared. No, no, I was petrified. Um <laughs> <laughs> so I, I booted up the 360 and the disc tray wouldn't open. Having worked at a game store years past, uh, many years ago now, um, I realized that uh, Xbox 360s usually have like a force eject. So when uh, the tray gets stuck and it's and it's on the Xbox too, the original Xbox. So whenever this typically occurs, you pop open your tray. There's a little rubber band and uh, you just clean off that rubber band you can boil it in some water i've heard in the past i usually just take like a 70 to 90 percent alcohol clean it all off put the rubber band back on and call it a day works like a charm no issues so whoever that lady is that sold it to me thought she got away with selling me a broken xbox she hadn't met me so <laughs> uh yeah it works perfectly booted up uh, lost odyssey the other day just kind of check it out and make sure things were working on that game because i obviously purchased it online and uh, it did. And last pickup for you, dude. I actually accidentally won a bid for uh, Dragon Quest IV, uh, just the case and manual. Mm. So uh, I figured, well, I'll just put in a bid for like 23. It'll never hit that much. Yeah, it kind of did. So I ended up paying like 26 bucks for a case and manual for Dragon Quest IV. So my loose copy sitting here in the corner now has a case and manual. There you go. Yeah, so not too bad. 
How about yourself? How often do you wind oh. up buying stuff to just like finish off a game like that? Uh, it really depends on the game. So I can tell you a quick story. When I got Dot Hack Quarantine uh, and Dot Hack, uh, I think we all got Dot Hack Quarantine. John. Yeah, right. So Outbreak and Quarantine. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so when I picked up that series, I got all of it for about 40 bucks from uh, the shop I actually worked at. It was before I worked there, um, we used to get good deals anyways uh, from the employees there because we'd go so frequently. So we get college discounts and such. So at the time, the employee there, Missy, sold it to me for like 40 bucks for the entire set. Uh, it was water damaged. So while it was nice that I picked it up for 40 bucks, the case was water damaged and there was no manual. So I went, there was a website that I used to go on years ago, and I was hunting for the quarantine and outbreak cases uh, and manuals because they were, you know, just crap. So that was probably honestly like a year of just like randomly searching eBay, randomly searching different places to try and find it. And eventually I ended up finding it um, on that same website. They had it for like, it was three or four dollars for the manual in case mm -hmm. uh, when on eBay they were sitting at about. 60 oh wow so I, I don't know how i how that shop didn't recognize that oh we have a 60 dollar item we're selling for four bucks but i usually will do that for premiere type games right so dragon quest is you know obviously a, a love series they go for quite a bit on a nintendo ds so that's one that i'll probably pick up the cases and manuals over time mm -hmm. uh, just like i would have for dot hack now if it's something like you know space channel 5 on the playstation 2 generally i don't care because if i come across a copy down the road it'll be cheap and if it's complete in box i'll just swap out my copies or yeah. add the manual like not a big deal so yeah i come across so much stuff nowadays anyways that it doesn't bug me when i find something that's not complete mm -hmm. because i know at some point down the road unless it's a super rare game I'm going to find it complete or I'm going to find a manual or a better disc or a black label or something along those lines. Cause not everything is like super uncommon, right? There's millions of copies for some of these games or hundreds of thousands. It's when you get into things like the rule of Rose and dot hack quarantine and coupons of a world that you're like, okay, you know, I want to go look for a case, but I'm going to kind of hold on to what I got right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did you have any pickups this week? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Did you pick up a controller? I... Did you not play? I didn't pick up a controller because everything I played is handheld. I mean, did you pick up your Nintendo Switch? Yeah. Well, but I mean, has I didn't use the controller separately. I used it in handheld. I played a lot of Animal Crossing this week, and I played a little bit of Persona. Um, Persona's going okay. Uh, it's kind of becoming like a lot for me to think of because I already joined the drama club and you would drill I drama still club. have to go into the TV and train and beat like this next minor boss I don't know it's like I can go back into the castle that I just finished and now there's like a new boss that I can fight there but he whooped me so I might have to train up to do that I also really want to start fishing but i don't know how to start fishing like there's a lot of stuff going on in this game and i found an app that has like a whole calendar so that i could keep track of like what i'm supposed to do because it's like three days a week i have to go to drama club and then i should probably study a bit too i can make envelopes for money if i need money from my job like 
there's so many different things you could do and you can only do like one or maybe two things a day. So it's a lot of planning that way. I'm trying to just kind of go with the flow and not go online and read a bunch and figure out all the optimum stuff because I don't really want to follow a manual on it like that because I know this game can turn out in a lot of different ways. So I'd like to just see organically how my gameplay goes. And then uh, Animal Crossing is going great. I'm kind of at the point now where I think I've gotten most of the basics set up. I've got my museum. I've got my shop. I made a bridge and then immediately made all the stuff to make a second bridge, not realizing that I could only make one bridge. I, uh, I've got four villagers now, unless somebody else moved in today. Maybe I'm up to five. I don't know. I haven't played today. My house has uh, been upgraded one more time, and I'm starting to make it feel... I'm starting to get enough items now where it's starting to fill out. I started to kind of decorate my island a little bit. Like I built this little patio area where it's got a table and a couple chairs and then uh, like a table with like a knife block on it. And I put like this clay cooking thing behind it and a pizza oven and a little water fountain. So it's like I'm trying to set up my island it's just hard to visualize exactly where i want to go with it because i just haven't gotten that many things yet like sometimes i'm finding that it's like i might as well go buy stuff even if it's something i don't really want now it might be something that i want later you know so I think that this is probably going to start to slip back a little bit and this will probably drop down into like, oh, I'll pick this up like every day for like an hour instead of sitting there and playing it for like three or four hours. Gotcha. I think it's going to start reverting back to there. So Persona should start moving up in my play order a little bit more. And then I also went in this week. This doesn't really count as a pickup, I guess, though, or a playing thing. It's something else. I went into Gamefly. I deleted my whole queue and I added Final Fantasy VII Remake. So it's the only thing I want from you, Gamefly. It's the only thing. Watch, Don't ga- send me anything else except for that, because I won't accept it. Watch, Gamefly is going to send you Final Fantasy VII on PlayStation 1. Right? You're like, damn it! <laughs> so, oh, it just hit something. Okay. Um, well, uh, You had a big see. week in gaming. What's that? You had a big week in gaming. I kind of had a big week in gaming. So, uh, I finally beat my new game's resolution of 2020. I beat Shenmue Yay! number one. Yay! So, uh, it, it kind of grew on me towards the end there. It actually did. It got me kind of wanting to play Shenmue 2. Oh. Which is which is interesting because like the whole time, like, man, I will I will not play Shenmue 2. It's just not the type of game that I would want to play. And uh now I, I kinda want to, but I'm not gonna jump right into it. It was too slow of controls and stuff for me well, to be like, let's it, do this again. It is only almost April now, so there's still eight months of the year left. So you could always pick it up later in the year. If you want to. Yeah, well, I mean, remember, I, I had mentioned that I would play um, all three at first. I'm like, eh, I'll take that back. I'll just play the first one, see how I feel, and then maybe I'll play the second one. So long-term goal, I'll pick it up later in the year and play the second one, um, but highly unlikely. Um, well, and it can always become, I mean, not not really a new game's resolution for you in the future, but I mean... The reason we do the new games resolution is for games that 
you know, have been sitting on your shelf, that game that you've always wanted to play but not really gotten around to, you know, this will just become another one of those games that joins that pile for you. Yeah, I would say so. And um, so talking about games that have been kind of sitting on the pile and that I haven't gotten to, Arkvalad 3 is a you game. You made your choice. I made my choice. So Did you even play the other two? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I beat so the you- other yeah, I beat no, the other no, no, two years I mean, ago. You had three games that you were considering playing after Shenmue, and I was like, you should play 30 minutes of each. Uh, See it, which one you want to no, do. No, no, no. I just jumped right just in Arc, jumped Lad, straight Arc okay. Lad 3. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I was considering it, but it was just one of those things. I was sitting in a room here, meditating in front of thousands of games, and um, I just kind of thought about it. I'm like, you know, it'd be nice to close out that PS1 series uh, finally, and uh, I enjoyed the first two, and I enjoyed the anime, and uh, I just recently found out there's a manga, too. So um, I really did like that series uh, years ago when I first played it. Uh, Arc the Lad 1 was super short, but it was a nice kind of introduction into the world of Arc the Lad and the Guardians and such. And then Arc the Lad 2 was phenomenal. I mean, I highly recommend that game for anybody that has not played the series. And number three, graphically, is really good uh to be honest i mean you saw some of it this morning and some of the music and i i like it so far i'm two hours in yeah the sprite work looks really nice yeah yeah i mean it it really honestly would compare to any like indie switch game coming out right now obviously it's a little more grainy and not as like well refined as you would find nowadays but in terms of overall quality it's right there and we're talking like a 50 60 hour rpg um and this one's actually i i didn't know this until recently but the Arcalad series is actually a Sony exclusive RPG. Oh, is it? Now? Yeah, so it's actually an RPG exclusive to the Sony console, and I'm shocked that we haven't really seen anything outside of like a mobile game that's come out recently, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. And um, we had it's just one of those series that kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah, I guess so, man. Like it just wasn't super popular in the West, and I guess it's kind of died down in popularity over in Japan. So it there really hasn't been anything else that's come out, but. I really like it so far. The whole hunter mechanic um, from like the previous series, you go to like the Hunter's Guild and you pick up missions and such kind of similar to a Final Fantasy Tactics uh, advance. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you just you kind of have your overall story. You got your world map. You've got your tasks and stuff that you're supposed to do all the meanwhile, combining it with a story. And it's just it's really fluid. It's kind of picking up really quick. How far in are you? Two hours. Two hours? Yeah, so I just finished my first mission, which was a trial mission to be able to join the Hunter's Guild. Um, actually, let me just start from the beginning. So um, you're obviously in the uh, in your hometown that you start out in, and bandits take over. And so you go to the city, you sneak out to try and enlist uh, help from the Hunter's Guild. They send a guy out, and then you're like, oh, I really want to become a hunter. I was saved by a hunter years ago. I just got saved by a hunter now. Now I want to be the person saving people. Mm -hmm. So you go out with your buddy Lutz, you head out to the city, you join in, uh, or you get to the Hunter's Guild, and they say, hey, we're going to put you through a trial. If you pass this, then yeah, we'll let you in the guild. So just completed that part, and I just picked up my first three missions, the first one being uh, going off to help another hunter by delivering some supplies. So so far, so good. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Early um, adventure fetch questing. Yeah, so far, so far. Uh, but I'm liking it. And it's it really does remind me of when I played the first two Arc the Lads. And as I said, highly recommended series. I would definitely play them if you haven't. And it, it's totally worth it. I can't really speak to the PS2 versions. I saw my brother play those years ago. 
And uh, I don't think he ever beat Ark the Lad 1 and 2. I know he beat 3. And I think he beat the, uh, the Twilight one. I forget the name of it. But he beat one or two of the PS2 ones. And those were actually not as really well received. They kind of went away from a lot of what the series was big on, which was a lot of the the you know square tactical components mm-hmm. and they kind of did away with that in the in the ps2 games and you know I, like i said i can't speak too much to them but i just hear they're not as good mm-hmm. so we'll see if i get to those down the road eventually at some point yeah but i'm really stoked about starting this game and you know after you leave i'll probably uh pop in another hour or two on it there you go so, yeah. uh yeah all right so uh this Let's week jump into news breaking news uh Everybody's still on lockdown. Everybody's still talking about uh, COVID-19 nonstop, and uh, Xbox is talking about it. So this week, uh, we've got Xbox releases statement on COVID-19's impact on exclusive game development. This is by Eddie McCutch at GameSpot. I hope I pronounced that right. Thanks for the article. Uh, This article goes over, and I'll just read you the quote. This is from Matt Booty at... uh, Xbox. Laugh now. We know that gaming connects people during times of social distancing, and we are committed to delivering the highest quality Xbox Game Studios games for our global community of players. At the same time, the health and safety of our XGS development team is our top priority. Each studio is facing unique challenges and constraints depending on its particular location, and many of our external development partners around the world are similarly affected. We are supporting our studio leaders to make the right decisions for their teams and individual games during this challenging time. So I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that people are coming out and they're, you know, being supportive and making the right choices now. Like it's important that, you know, social distancing is maintained and, you know, not putting people at risk. I appreciate all of that and I'm glad for their efforts. But what I think this is going to wind up being is extra crunch from home which is a little bit better but extra extra crunch like i have a feeling all of these possible delays in games and stuff is just going to be people feverishly working from home at all hours because they'll already be there so it's like oh well you don't have to drive to and from work anymore that's an extra hour you could put in a day you know, I could totally see this leading to a lot of bad stuff, especially because, you know, crunch is bad for, you know, your mental health, your physical health, your relationships and stuff like that. Like, it's one thing for your significant other to be at work, working all the time, especially like if they're in a crunch period, but for them to be at home and working probably even more hours because it's harder to communicate you know a lot of processes probably slow down no matter how acclimated you are to working from home it's just going to end up being more time and now you're kind of being ignored at home while you're there like it can see this being a bad thing and i'm you know we've been talking about the industry and crunch for a while now and it isn't really getting much better and i'm i'm hoping this doesn't kind of overload onto that and become that but that's kind of what i think there's no way that they're not going to be able to delay stuff with this all happening well see i mean we even deal with that in in my industry of marketing and so it's 
you know, right now we're kind of seeing that it's hard to kind of communicate with your boss or your coworkers. I'm used to being in an office setting, right? Where I could just walk in and say, Hey, you just sent me this email. It's a lot easier you to know, show people renders and art and, yeah. you know, things like that visual things in a game. It's a lot easier to stand there and show somebody than to, all right, is the feed going through? Can you see where I'm pointing? Is this working? Yeah, exactly. So the communication just is going to be hampered. And, you know, as I said, like it's, it's one thing for me to go to my boss's office, slap a piece of paper down and say, Hey, you know, here's the artwork I'm looking at for this, uh, this campaign we're running and, and this upcoming email, do you mind taking a quick look? Okay, yeah, no problem. Take a quick look. All right, I go to my desk, I'm working on it, and we're kind of done, right? Versus now I'm seeing there's a lot of email back and forth of, oh, well, you know, I don't like this, I don't like that. It's it's not direct, and there's a lot of delay, right? Because there's so many things happening at once for multiple people. And I can see that happening in the gaming industry, not only leading to stress during that crunch time and issues at home, and like you said, the physical well-being of these employees, but also delays in the industry. You know, things are going to be a little slower paced. It's crunch or delay. There's really there's really no two ways around it. Yeah, and so uh, one of the other articles on here that we're uh, looking at this week was Sony warns risk of delays to PlayStation games. And this one's by uh, Andy Robinson of Video Game Chronicle. And so it's kind of the same situation, right? Sony basically told their shareholders, look, there might be some delays on some of these games, not only because of supply chains, but, you know, you still have the issues of development and you still have these studios that are shut down for working at home or well, manufacturers are shut yeah, down. Yeah, they talk about that in the article. Uh, they had to close down four of their manufacturing plants for 16 days back in January. So, you know, those are up. Well, and now and Ghost, churning out games, but and other Ghost, places... of, uh, Ghost of Tsushima is actually delayed an extra 10 days now. <clears throat> It was uh, initially June 16th. It's now June 26th. Mm. So, I mean, that's already seen a delay. And we mentioned a while back uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake potentially being delayed. No word has come out on that. I don't think it's going to be delayed, but you still never know. I mean... You hear that, Gamefly? No excuses. <laughs> exactly. No excuses, Gamefly. So, yeah, I mean, we could still see delays like that. If borders are shut down, if supply chains are just cut off from the outside world for a bit... You know, say if retailers like GameStop close. Well, they're, I mean, they're technically closed, but they have the they said they're going to be open, apparently, for that, by the way. Hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, I was reading a thread on Reddit where a guy had called GameStop asking about uh, Final Fantasy seven and whether or not they'd be COVID open. I know there's going around, but is, uh, is my game still going to be there? Yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll be open for that. Like, really? You're going to be open for just deliver to people's houses. Put the extra money and deliver to people's houses. I mean, it's. Already free shipping for what fifty dollars or more? Like, deliver it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it all pans out here in the next few weeks. But, uh, yeah, I would expect that we are going to see delays. And while Sony and Microsoft have feverishly said, "No, we're not going to have delays to our consoles that are coming out. There's not going to be any disruption." They don't know that. Well, like, I mean, it's it's another week, another week. Put another tally on the tally board. Another week where Sony doesn't tell us anything yep. and then also kind of says and we might not show anything for a while on some of this other stuff either yeah exactly you know, we might I have mean, some delays on games like here here's my question why would you have some delays on games due to the supply chain but you wouldn't have delays to the manufacturing process and the production of your playstation 5 you would literally have had to have it all done now like and they don't 
So I, I don't understand like why they're not just coming out and saying, hey, just FYI, this might be delayed to 2021. And that's it. Just come out with it instead of well, like... There's not going to be any like... And this is such a weird launch. We I know we keep talking about the same thing over and over and over again, but it's going to be such a weird launch with the kind of like soft launching of games that are going to be on both consoles and backwards compatible and all that stuff for a while. So it's like, what are you hurting in just admitting that there might be a delay? Like, if there is no delay, you'll be fine. But like, you know, they're going to wait until the last possible minute. Yeah, and that's honestly going to hurt them further. Just be like, oh, yeah, we are going to have a delay. And who knows, what if Microsoft comes out and says, well, a lot of our manufacturing was already done or, you know, we were already so far ahead of the game, we're launching now. Like, Sony might be shooting itself in the foot right now. And, you know, it could be one of those things of, well, we don't want to say we're delaying because then Microsoft maybe tries to, you know, up their efforts to get uh, their product out at the same time. So it's more of a hush-hush. Who knows at this point, but... You know, I have a feeling it's going to be delayed into 2021. We don't know how how long this is going to be lasting for uh, the whole coronavirus deal. So we'll see. Well, in a little bit of a better news, sort of. Well, while South by Southwest Gaming Awards was, uh, you know, canceled, they didn't do the uh, presentation in person like they would have wanted to. We still have a list of winners and, you know, we can go through this. It's not a big, long list here. And talk about some of these, uh, I don't know, I don't think either of us really played many of these games, but we did both play the winner, Video Game of the Year, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Speaking of which, where are you at in that game? I haven't played it again. Oh. Animal Crossing is just so much nicer in the morning, I told you that last week. Oh. But dude, at night, just before you go to sleep, you're supposed to play some Sekiro, <laughs> it tires you out. I mean, dude, you'll sleep like a baby. I guess. Yeah. Uh, mobile Game of the Year, Sky Children of the Light. Don't know what that is. Good for you guys, though, at uh, Studio That Game Company. I like your name. Tabletop Game of the Year, Paladins of the West Kingdom. Have you played that one? Uh, no. I hadn't even heard of it. VR Game of the Year, No Man's Sky Beyond VR. I've heard that. No Man's Sky's been out for a long time. It keeps getting better, and apparently the VR is great. If you are a VR person, and you're out there, and you're not playing Half-Life, Alex, I guess check this out if you haven't. Uh, trending game of the year. Now this, I read their description and I like it. Awarded to the game that consistently entertained and kept us watching on social platforms with its humor, stories, and more. Winner, Pokemon Sword and Shield. Now I don't know about, you know, humor, stories, and more because I wasn't really involved. I've told everybody before, you know, I love Pokemon to death, but I'm just not interested in the new Pokemon. But man, did it give us a lot to talk about this year. I mean, I think... It might be up in the running for one of our most talked about franchises of the year outside of, you know, probably Fallout 76 and Anthem. I think we probably talked about Pokemon the most. Yeah, I would say we talked about Pokemon the most and then uh, the PlayStation 5, which isn't a game necessarily, yeah. but that would be our next trending topic for the year would be uh, PlayStation 5. Um, and then the Matthew Crump Cultural Innovation Award awarded to the game that best challenges the norm of everyday gaming and offers a culturally innovative view of the game world character or gameplay. This went to, excuse me, Disco Elysium. Uh, Disco Elysium, I haven't played. I've heard a lot of people that I trust their opinions talk about it and say how great it is. Might not be up my alley, but 
a lot of respect for how much this game has gotten out there and how much people love it. Definitely check this one out if you're interested in something new and different. Yeah, I know my brother was playing that when he was here uh, out in January, mm -hmm. and he absolutely loved it. I oh, just, great. I want a physical release of it. That's the only deal. Yeah. You know, I think I'm sure you'll probably get one through uh, Limited Run or Limited something. Limited Run or somebody. Yeah. yeah, or Super Air Games or something. Uh, most promising new IP, The Outer Worlds. Um, Which I did buy that. Yeah, I think that, you know, people were maybe a little bit disappointed, some of them, and other people were just over the top, overjoyed about it. It was definitely one of those games that it's like, you know, if you've played a lot of games in the, the Fallout universe, you definitely can appreciate where they're going and how they're trying to differentiate themselves. And hopefully it does lead to, you know, bigger and better and more next time and not you know, just taking as much inspiration, like get out there, do something unique with this new unique IP that you have. Uh, excellence in animation, Kingdom Hearts 3, that's a hard one to argue against. Excellence in art, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. I just sent that back to Gamefly. Don't you don't send me Final Fantasy VII Remake Gamefly. Uh, it was a beautiful game. I love the art in that. It was so cute. Did you ever beat it? No. <laughs> Nope. Uh, excellence in design. Control. Control is supposed to be really good. Yeah, I've heard some really great things about that. that. I think Game Grinder recently played that one, if I'm correct. And mm. Yeah, there's a, a few different uh, people on Twitter that you know we follow that have that been mentioning Control. That was up for a lot of Game of the War. Yeah, I got to check that one out. I think it's cheap now, too. Excellence in gameplay. Devil May Cry 5. I uh, haven't played that one, but I love a good Devil May Cry. Excellence in multiplayer. Final Fantasy 14 Shadowbringers. Musical score, Death Stranding, Narrative, Disco Elysium, Sound Effects, Jedi Fallen Order, can't get better than TIE Fighters and Lightsabers, uh, Technical Achievement, Death Stranding, Visual Achievement, Sekiro, a beautiful game, love the way everything looks, like moving around and exploring in that world, and like leaping through the mountains and stuff, super cool, uh, Game Industry Champion of Change, Steven Spohn. Uh, he works with a, I think it's the Able Gamers charity. Uh, Game Industry Journalist of the Year, Cecilia de Anastasio. I don't know that we've ever covered any of her articles, but maybe we should see uh, what we can do to fix that in the future. Yeah. So those are just uh, their awards for this year. I think it's a great diverse list. I think that, you know, all of these are great candidates and are all very deserved of what they're nominated for. I think it's a great list. I do think it's weird that it's like super late in the year that they're doing this. Um, you know, when most people are doing it end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Uh, so that's kind of odd. But I think they usually do it to coincide with the South by Southwest like convention I think they have. Oh, really? I think so. I mean, that would make sense. Now, I'm going to say right now in uh, John's uh, way too early poll of Game of the Year 2020, uh, which obviously they'll be doing 2021 for their game None of the year. None of the game of the years this year are even out yet. I know, exactly. So I'm thinking, provided that the gameplay is good and there's nothing, and it gets good reviews initially, Ghost of Tsushima will likely get something a visual and I could see it getting a game of the year next year as well. Oh, Final Fantasy is going to sweep. Nope. Sweep. No way, man, no way. Final Fantasy VII will be up there, but uh, I think Ghost of Tsushima is going to take it. We'll see.
Well, let's take a look at another list. Now, this list is a list of games that aren't so great. This is by uh, Kyle Glatz get at a Ghetto Gamer. This is terrible PS1 games Dude, I got otherwise it. great series. We got to follow this guy on Twitter. I, I got to see if he has a Ghetto Gamer hashtag. So he set up a list here. It's a short list. We'll go through all the games on here. And these are games that he says are terrible entries in an otherwise good series twisted metal 3 you know i used to love the twisted metal games i played the first three or four at least i never played black whichever one that one was was the last one i didn't play uh black was on um ps2 wasn't it i think it was on ps3 because wasn't the the guy from twisted metal sweet tooth sweet tooth was in playstation all-stars battle royale well yeah they released a twisted metal i think black was released on the ps2 and then they had another twisted metal release on the ps3 if you keep talking on this list i'll find it and i'll let you know okay so i i agree with everything he writes in here without actually having played it enough recently to compare and contrast but you know sometimes sometimes it's just that when a series comes out with another entry maybe the controls aren't as tight you know maybe it switches over to a cast that you don't enjoy. Yep, it is on PS2. John is right. You know, there's just something about some sequels that doesn't really hit the mark. Uh, obviously, Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero definitely doesn't hit the mark. If anybody's ever played this, it's a really weird hybrid fighter platformer where you're Sub-Zero, and it's just not great. It's just not fun. It's just not Mortal Kombat. I remember and the first time I ever... an obvious choice. The first time I ever played that game was with uh, my best friend in elementary school. He did came... you guys rent it for Blockbuster no. like I did? No, he owned it. He owned oh, it. it was that's worse. even worse. It was worse, yeah. So he, Is that uh, worth anything now? Uh, maybe like 15, 20 bucks. I'll... No, probably yeah. not then. Not worth the investment. No, not really, but... Um, I have it on N64 as well, and I have the, the... That's the one I play. And I have the Prima Guide, too, for it. So, no, dude, so it's a really quick short story. So, he came over, and uh, I think I told this with my in our episode of, um, you know, Greatest Moments in Gaming. Uh, so, he comes out, slaps out this giant disc case. It's got all of, like, the sleeves of the games and such, and we're going through, I'm like, Mortal Kombat? I haven't played this one yet. We pop it in. We probably went, like, 20 minutes, and we're like, nope put it right back in the case yep. yeah that's i think what most people did yeah uh next up spec ops ranger elite i've never played any of the spec ops games but basically this just seems like a game that they made a sequel and they just never really updated it enough to be sequel worthy monster rancher battle card episode two a poorly designed card game for a poor imitation of pokemon and neither of them really ever stood a chance and uh, Dragon Ball Z Ultimate Battle 22, a slow fighter on the PS1 that doesn't even include Yamcha. You got to have Yamcha. And I mean, that's, that's his list of uh, disappointing sequels on the PS1. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot more out there. I haven't even played all of these games. I was like, come on, John. We both grew up playing PlayStation. We could come up with some games, but I really couldn't think of anything. So me and John kind of went off on our own, and we'll post this out on social media to hear what you guys have to say. Find us on the Game Deflators everywhere except for Twitter, at Game Deflators. Uh, you know, leave it in a comment somewhere if you want, along with five stars. That would be nice. But let us know somewhere some disappointing sequels 
that you can think of doesn't have to just be ps1 me and john definitely made our list of more than just ps1 disappointments because everybody deserves a chance to be disappointed yeah and of course uh Listen to us on our podcast applications out there. Podcast Addict is one of them. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. I think Apple Podcasts is a new iTunes list. And uh, iHeartRadio and anything else that has a podcast application. You should be able to find us. If you don't find us, let us know that we're not on there and we'll be on there. Um, so, yeah, let's. Uh, you want to start talking about our, our new list? Okay. So, or not new list, but our list of worst sequels of all time. My list, I'm actually going to go in a different order than what I wrote these down on here. I think my f- biggest disappointing sequel that I could come up with from looking at a list of other disappointing sequels, I cheated for this last one, uh, is going to be Perfect Dark Zero. I was so disappointed in that game. I never even played Perfect Dark. I didn't even know what Perfect Dark was. But gosh darn it, if it wasn't my Xbox 360 launch title that I had for two months before I got the console and I looked all through that game manual and I had that game and I was so excited to play it. And then I got my 360 and I was like, what? This is not great. This, this is not what I want. And uh, I was very disappointed in that. Not even having played like it should have had like all the room in the world to impress me, seeing as how I never played the original next gen game perfect dark i mean it had all of the all the writing was on the wall for a great game and of course it wasn't it let me down and i didn't even have expectations i think it was mostly the build-up and playing so much of the call of duty 2 demo kiosk at my local GameStop. yeah that, that probably would do it uh you want to finish up your list and i'll jump into mine Okay, um, next up, these two are very near and dear for me, and that's why these are disappointing sequels. Uh, for the DS, Mario, uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star. I love the Paper Mario games. Paper Mario 1 and Thousand Year Door are probably both in my top five games. And I was so excited to have a new Paper Mario that was going to be going back to an RPG style, not like Super Paper Mario on the Wii and have it portable that sounds great you know how many emulators i tried to get on phones over the years to play paper mario and uh man it was just so disappointing like all of the differences just i i couldn't even give that game a fair shake like i just couldn't get past it not being what i wanted it to be because they changed everything about it and they haven't really gone back to that tried and true formula from those first two games that everybody loved like give up on being gimmicky and trying all this new stuff. I know people said color splash was a huge disappointment too, but uh paper Mario sticker start just let me down hard. And then on top of that, we've got resident evil six, man. It was Leon's chance to return and shine Leon Kennedy, resident evil four. Those are good, strong, powerful memories for me. And seeing, Resident Evil 5 come out was fine. I had a great time playing that multiplayer with a friend, but it was a little bit lesser. And then uh, Resident Evil 6 was just a a total disappointment. Everybody was let down by it, and it just was not what anybody wanted. Thank God they turned it around and returned to strong form with Resident Evil 7. That's probably my second favorite game in the franchise that I've played. Nice. 
So uh, for my list, dude, it's a little more obvious on these games. Um, so my Yours first actually all end in two. Oh, snap, <laughs> they do. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, I didn't even realize that. So uh, the first one is an obvious one for a lot of people out there. Super Mario Bros. 2. I mean, come on. Don't you mean Doki Doki Panic? Yeah, sure. Doki Doki Panic. Yeah, so uh, Super Mario Bros. 2, I got this, obviously, when I was a kid, when it first came out. Uh, I picked, uh, well, my first console is a Super Nintendo, but I played a lot of NES. So the All-Stars game had Super Mario Bros. 2. I beat number one. I was like, all right, let's go to number two. Number two is horrible. It's just, it's not... I wouldn't say it's horrible, but it's, it's just not a whole what you would game. expect. Yeah, it's just a totally different game. You're picking when I up sit down turnips to play and Mario, throwing them. That's not the one I want to play. Exactly. So I have yet to beat this game in all of my years of gaming. I, I just haven't beat Mario Bros. 2. I've played it numerous times. I've gotten through X amount of levels. I can just never get into playing it and like sitting back and beating it. I just never do. Well, every, every level is like a hunt for the potion and the door and the key. Yeah, there's just too much going on. There's turnips. There's give me going left to right and jumping on people. That's all I need. Yeah, that's all I need. I just need to run. I need to collect coins, get fire flowers, and kill. Koopas. Where's the flag? Yeah, that, exactly. It's like it's the weirdest thing. And then of course you got your boss battles with uh, what is it? Uh, I forget the name of a pink guy. Is it Bird? Uh, Birdo. Birdo. Yeah. So Birdo shooting eggs out of his. And yes, it is a man, by the way. Uh, shooting eggs out of his nose, whatever it is, nose, snout mouth i have no idea face hole yeah face hole and then grabbing it and throwing it and then jumping into an eagle's mouth so it's it's really weird so yeah that's on my list uh zelda 2 before anybody slams me on oh it's because it's you're not a good gamer blah blah no the game's just flipping hard i don't think anybody really likes zelda 2 no i'm well there's a lot of people okay so the people there's two people in this world the people that like zelda 2 and the because they just want to like it and they just want to be like, well, it's because you're not a good gamer. And then there's the other people that recognize it's just a really shitty game. And that's it. That, that's all there is to it. The game is hard. Yeah, totally get that. It's just not a good game. It, it really isn't. It's like a side-scrolling, weird-looking Zelda game where, you know, you throw magic and daggers and have extreme difficulty of having to die and then progress back to that area that you died at from the very beginning. Like, mm -hmm. it's so stupid. And... uh I don't even know how my wife got through. She pretty did much. The, well, she didn't beat it. Uh, we pretty much counted as beat because to get the Ganon, you had to pretty much go all the way across the world map, go through tons of battles to get to the cave where Ganon was at. It was just an ultimate pain in the ass. Like I can see doing it with like an emulator and save states and just like, okay, cool. And, and not for the purpose of cheating more for the purpose of convenience. The yeah. game is just extremely... You don't want to have to go through all yeah. the arduous parts. Exactly. It's like, I just want to get to the cave that he's at. I want to go ahead and, and beat him in this particular location and be done with it. But you don't have that ability in this game. It's just constantly back to the beginning, back to the end. Just it's You're always doing the same thing. And it just it pretty much draws energy out of you to continue doing it. And it's just frustrating. So that's my uh, number two. And my next one, which... I don't know if there's a lot of people that would agree with me on this, but... I think there's some people that are hardcore fans, but I definitely agree with you. Yeah, so Final Fantasy X-2. While, I mean, you gotta look at it from, if you're somebody disagrees with this point of it not being a great sequel, it's a good game. Like, it's not a bad game. 
it's just it doesn't stand up to what you had in Final Fantasy X. Final Fantasy X raised so many bars and set so many expectations. I feel like it was a lot easier for this game to kind of be a letdown for a lot of people. Exactly. So this was the first technically sequel that they did for any Final Fantasy game uh, within the franchise. And Final Fantasy X had a lot going for it. It, it obviously won uh, recent, uh, not recent, didn't win anything, but in a survey that we had in a previous episode, uh, you know, people in Japan said, hey, this is the best Final Fantasy of all time. You know, Final Fantasy X, it beat out seven, it beat out nine, mm-hmm. it beat out six, you know, it beat it out beat tons. It beat out 10-2. 10-2, exact. 10-2 is like number 15 on the list. So you got to consider this is arguably the best Final Fantasy game of all time. And then you transition into dress spheres and getting like, all of these different dress spheres that you have to then go ahead and get different moves for and chain attacks. And it was just very different. And it really was in a shadow of final fantasy 10. I think as a standalone game, it might have been okay, but the fact that it was, you know, in that shadow of the best final fantasy of all time, it just it couldn't stand up to that. Yeah, it's it, a it lot. really couldn't. And so I would say that would have to be a, a really disappointing sequel. I, I thought there was gonna be a lot more to it. I thought that we would end up seeing like Titus return. I think there's an unlockable ending where you do get to see him. But there I felt like there could have been more to it. And there wasn't. It was more of Yuna's problems and this random girl named Payne that they met along the way and Riku, and then you've got, like, I think a pregnant Lulu or the kid. I I don't remember, but there was a lot going on in this game, and it just, it didn't stand up. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, tell us, uh, you know, that's our top three uh, worst sequels of all time and existing franchises for us, or, you know, inserts later on into a franchise, in your case, with Resident Evil 6 and uh, Mario Sticker Star. But yeah, tell us what you think on our um, on our social media channels at Game Deflators on uh, Twitter and at the Game Deflators Instagram and uh, Facebook, and then hit us up on uh, some of the different uh, podcast episodes that we have listed on uh, different podcast applications. All right, so this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge, we're talking about Cold Fear for the PS2. Uh, this is a survival horror third-person shooter. It's got some of that over-the-shoulder stuff we loved about Resident Evil 4, but not quite as well. This was developed by Darkworks, published by Ubisoft. Designer was Nicholas Casting, or Castang. Uh, released back in March 2005 to not good reception. This game is about like a... 6.97 depending on what you're playing it for people prefer it on the xbox it looks like review wise but an utter commercial flop uh this game in north america sold seventy thousand copies in its whole first year and that's for all three that's for platforms by the way well Windows. it came out in 2006 on pc so it's just when okay. uh, microsoft or xbox yeah and playstation and i would i'd probably say then based on kind of the financial figures which we'll discuss in a bit uh the xbox probably sold more copies of this game just because the ps2 version is a higher price and i don't think that's if it has better reviews on the xbox and it's it's likely a higher price because it's less common i would imagine yeah that's what i would assume uh so we dove into cold fear because everybody's afeard of getting a cold at the moment afeard afeard okay I'm, I'm punning on the name, John. God. So 
we checked this game out and it's pretty cool in some instances and okay in other instances and i feel like that's what the reviewers were kind of saying some of the cool things about this game uh well we'll do the setting real quick you are a u.s coast guard and you are going to uh, follow a signal to a ship that's a Russian whaling vessel out in the sea. And, uh, of course, zombie stuff happens on board. And the physics of the ship itself, uh, they talk a lot about it. You could read it on the wiki. They had to develop their own system for managing the movement of the ship. And they have tons and tons. I think it's like 900 animations per character or something of them like swaying and rocking realistically with the boat. They had to take all the scripted items that were moving on the ship and give them physics to go with that. They had to uh, come up with counterbalances for the camera to keep it from swaying all over and clipping through things. It's, it's a really cool innovative yeah. game. I mean, honestly, the, the development of this was kind of forward thinking. Yeah, it you really know? gives you that same kind of... Uh, I forget, there was a reviewer who mentioned this that gives you that kind of disorientating feeling along with the character. Like there's a few really nice things in this game like that. That's like, you know, he's on the ship and he's swaying back and forth and you're seeing all this, you know, swaying and the storms coming in and you have to watch for waves crashing on deck. You have to keep your footing without like losing too much of your, you kind of like stamina bar kind of like in, uh, Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, it's called Resistance in yeah. this game. So you're kind of moving around and everything's kind of wonky. And it, the controls are... They're slow. Well, they're slow controls and you don't have like... You don't always have free control of the camera. And as you turn, the camera turns with you. So well, some parts of the game, it feels like when I'm out on the deck, the controls feel okay and the camera feels okay. But when you go inside, it's very cramped. I mean, it's a very decent, realistic depiction of a ship. Like, you're in these cramped metal corridors. You've got outdoor doors and indoor doors, so you know, like, okay, which side of the ship you're on based on which side the the big heavy doors are facing. You've got uh, those kind of pre-staged camera angles like from old resident evil when you're in those interior situations, but you can always switch over to your over the shoulder first person or well, third person, third person still view, but you can move while you're in that. Unlike in resident evil four, where you're kind of locked in place as a turret. Yeah. So it's, you can still see which way you're going and you do have a little bit more control, but it definitely feels like, they did their best to try to hit a middle ground, but I think that this game could have used some more development time to iron out some kinks. And I think it, you know, depending on where the story goes, uh, I think it could have been a much better game. Like, you know, high 60s, low 70s is definitely the range for either games that were rushed out or games that are promising but you know have disappointing other areas you know that's the ground for games that were almost good not games that were complete trash so this is not a, a total trash title yeah and i mean i actually kind of enjoyed this game a bit uh you know i, I do play some horror games and i have an extensive collection for some reason of horror games uh, especially on ps2 but 
this game in particular, you know, I, I would echo exactly what you said. And for me, it was really the the rocking was really interesting in the physics of this game. So when you have these zombies coming at you right during the game, which are very much running zombies with weapons in their hands, which is even crazier. And they will not die unless you hit them with a headshot like most zombie games. Uh, so that's kind of frustrating. But when you're trying to shoot with the rocking on the boat, you are actively swaying on your on your gun too and it makes it so much more difficult so when you had gone out to the bathroom after we got our first save point which mm -hmm. i'll mention a bit here uh there was like three or four zombies that came out and they're all like rushing towards me and i'm trying to shoot i'm unloading clips and it's just like i can't flip and get a headshot on them because the boat's rocking and so it was kind of it's really difficult like it's not an easy game and it would take a lot of getting used to as far as the save functionality this game is hardcore man so we both experienced it obviously it's uh it's pretty difficult to begin with and it has an auto save functionality but difficult what i didn't think it was difficult no it was a difficult it's game. hard to find your way around well you didn't get to the part that i did you had... i blew everybody's head off instantly that i ran into okay those russian mobsters get... never stood a chance we'll, we'll load it up at yeah that's another thing why are russian people shooting at you when you're there to save them they don't know you're there you have they're worried about the zombies the zombies aren't shooting guns they have axes and knives i don't know man if well, i was in a zombie situation i, I i'd probably shoot everybody. anything that moved that that didn't speak my language you hear that folks in uh post-apocalypse ryan is not the person that you want to run into don't so yeah so I, I would say that the part that i was playing when you went off was actually fairly difficult because you have multiple targets running at you with weapons and it's just that boat rocking. It was just a heavier sway versus when we were inside the ship itself, it wasn't as bad yeah. as the rocking outside. So you have all of that going for you, obviously, but it's hardcore in the sense that there's an autosave functionality. And we literally like went through everything we did in that period of time. And right after we saw the one guy whose head fell off, we were able to get a save. Yeah, it was like 40 minutes before our first save. Yeah. And so there's like random save points throughout the game and they're not really save points they're more like okay we're gonna let you save Here's a here. safe transition exactly like we're gonna transition to the next scene and then like right after we save it just opens up and it's like all right now here's a bunch of zombies yeah like right off the bat so i would say that it's fun i did like what the we were playing atmosphere is definitely great like you oh, really cool. they did a really good job of designing the ship now i've heard one of the bigger criticisms from people is that there is no map in this game and the interiors can be very samey and we definitely did get disorientated and lost and we're trying to find i mean but but is that a negative though if you think about it is that a situation where you know if you were in that situation in real life you wouldn't have a map and everything well, would look the same in the dark and on a boat with no, zombies. No, yeah, yeah. It definitely... It, I could see that if they did it deliberately, it would be, you know, pretty good. But there's just, like... The problem is, like, the ship has signs and stuff, but they're all in Russian. And a lot of them are kind of faded, like the paint markings pointing in different directions. So it's like, unless you want to remember what this Russian word looks like and which way it's pointing and use that as a marker for a navigation system like uh in other games that don't have maps and you're like using real world like signage and stuff to navigate yeah that's all great if it's in a language that you can understand or represented in a way that you can understand like 
it makes more sense to do it that way. If they did it intentionally and they want you to remember like ciphers for different, you know, words and stuff and be like, oh, this must mean med bay, or at least to me now it means med bay this yeah. direction. Like that kind of works, but it can still be frustrating getting around. Uh, I, especially, I don't know, like it seems pretty open. Like it really didn't feel like we were directed to go in one direction we kind of explored around a lot and we ran into every locked door you could imagine yeah that was kind of frustrating there wasn't really like an indication of oh you have to go this way now i did notice though when we got to that top deck where he was like oh this isn't the right direction and i was like oh okay and then i tried to go through another door well, and it he was said locked. that whenever any of the stairwells were blocked too well, well yeah i mean he did but this was a piece in particular where it was a door that we had already come from. Uh -huh. And when I tried to go back, he was like, no, this is the wrong direction. Oh, okay. So we were heading in the right direction that whole time. So we started at the back of the ship and we were making our way up to the front, which is why we never got the whole thing of this is the wrong direction. And also why a lot of those doors were locked because after we went through it, I think it was to prevent us from going back mm -hmm. in the wrong direction. So, uh, you know, this game, yeah, 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 overall. I would say it's probably in that 7 to 7.5 range in my mind. Uh, it doesn't hold up to, like, a Resident Evil uh, game would back, you know, PlayStation 2 era, especially Resident Evil 4, as you had mentioned. I mean, this was, uh, I was reading, this is the studio's second game. Yeah. And Ubisoft's first game like this. And you know what? If this is the first game that Ubisoft did of this style, and it's only the second game from, was it Dark Darkworks? Darkworks Studios. Yeah, I would say it was successful in terms of development. I mean, it wasn't bad. It's not a terrible game. Commercially, was it, it was bad. Commercially, it was bad, but was it rushed? Maybe, but it everything worked outside of your face losing textures in a bathroom. Yeah, it did not like the <laughs> that, face. That was kind of random. So um, that's kind of yeah. what we think about the game. Let's see what the numbers are behind this game. We've got Complete Inbox 2604. That peaked uh, December 2018 at around 2744. That's currently trending up. We've got a loose copy for 1619. It's currently at its peak, and that's also trending up. These are the PS2 numbers, by the way, just so you know. And that so it's at peak right now for the loose. Oh, and it's, it's still climbing. It's rising back up towards peak for the complete inbox. The most expensive version is that PS2 complete inbox, and the cheapest version. Loose Pal Xbox for four thirty six. So if you absolutely have to have a copy, I guess that's your option. But uh, well, if you if you're in a Pal region, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Xbox for uh, you know, would probably be the cheaper option, like you said, for anybody wanting to play it. Um, which is what led you to think that most of those seventy thousand copies that were sold that first year were probably Xbox versions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know for sure. Uh, one area I go to is um, uh, VG Charts with mm -hmm. a Z at the end. Uh, sometimes you can find data on some of those games. So, like Rule of Rose, for example, I think it's like ten thousand copies worldwide or something, or uh, North America. And then it's like ten thousand copies uh, worldwide for like PAL region, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, VG Charts would be a good one to check out. Maybe we can get a, a better figure on why this might be a little more expensive uh, on the PS2 versus the Xbox. Uh, in terms of price point and where I stand, uh, dude, I mean, honestly, with this game, if I found it at 15 bucks, complete in box, 
and went home and started playing it, I would say it would be worth the $15 that I pay for this game. 15 I would say 15 yeah. 15 would be a fair price if I found this game and played it at home. And, you know, the six and a half hours of gameplay I think it offers, that wouldn't be bad. You know, 15 bucks, complete bucks. Where would you stand on this? Uh, PS2-wise, obviously. Xbox, it's perfect right now. I just think that this is... Uh... This is a game for anybody who's already played probably every other survival horror game out there and they can't get enough of them. And I think you're going to be disappointed in what's in this game. But I think that at a six hour playtime and if it's a genre you're interested in or you don't mind, you know, a little bit of jank in your games, that this could be a good buy for some people. But... I think that if you want to buy it, you should buy it now before it gets any more expensive. I think that it's not worth 26 bucks, but it's more worth 26 bucks than it is 30. If that ever happens, you know, like get it cheap while you can. If this is something that you're interested in, Uh, I'm going to go. I don't know. I, I think, would you say 15 bucks? Yeah. Yeah, I think 15 bucks is reasonable. I mean, it is probably a rarer game because of how little it sold. So that's definitely an inflation. Um, but you do have the alternative of an Xbox version. So, I mean, if you own a 360, uh, I haven't checked to see if this one's backwards compatible. But, you know, you can play this on an Xbox, potentially an Xbox 360. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that the PlayStation version is inflated. And I'm going to go back and look. The Xbox US version, $13.95 complete in box. I would buy the Xbox version. I think the Xbox version is priced right. I think the PS2 version is inflated. It's probably because they didn't sell too many. Yep. And so I think that $15 price point, you're around $13 around that area too. So yeah, this game's inflated. Uh, Definitely uh, much higher than it probably should be. And uh, we'll see over the next few years how it pans out. I mean, this could be one of those that you know, turns into the next like $40, $50 PS2 game is just floating out there. You're like, why is this 50 bucks? Get it now. Get it now Act while, fast. while it's hot. So uh, next week. While it's week, cold, John. While it's cold. Fear <laughs> is a dish best served cold. You know, you're killing me, dude, with the puns. So uh, I know we were talking about Grab by the Ghoulies uh, potentially for Xbox next week. Um, we've also got, I think, Extermination, if we wanted to play that on the PS2. That's another uh, survival horror let's type Let's do game. Xbox. You want to do Xbox? Yeah, let's do Xbox. Let's right. do Grab by the Ghoulies. All right, we'll boot it up into the uh, new Xbox 360 that I got. We'll grab uh, you guys sure next week <laughs> on episode 74. But uh, So this has been episode 73 of the Game Deflators podcast. Uh, my name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.